one of the most intrinsic things I believe about us as humans is we ache for connection, for affirmation, for recognition. That's a God-given thing. Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're glad you've joined us. I'm your host, Jonathan Darty. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. In 1999, I began my recovery from over 13 years of porn and sex addiction. One of the first books I read was Russell Willingham's foundational work, Breaking Free, Understanding Sexual Addiction and the Healing Power of Jesus. To this day, I'm reaping the benefits of this resource. In fact, the name of our ministry, Be Broken, is due in large part because of Chapter 9 in Breaking Free, entitled, The Courage to Be Broken. Today's guest is none other than Russell Willingham. Russell has worked full-time with sexually broken people since 1993. He oversees individual, couples, and group counseling at New Creation Ministries in Fresno, California. He has spoken widely across the nation on issues related to sexual addiction, the healing process, marital intimacy, and spiritual formation. In this episode, Russell shares insights from his 30-plus years of experience to understand sexual brokenness strongholds and how we can be truly set free from such compulsions. He unpacks the goodness of our desires, the reality of the struggle with sexual temptation, and the practical application of God's Word in experiencing freedom, peace, hope, and joy that comes from authentic community. Learn more about Russell and his counseling ministry at ncmfresno.org. For additional resources, visit BeBroken.com or check out the links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to help others find it. Now, let's dive into our conversation with the one and only Russell Willingham. All right, Russell Willingham, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, Russell, you have been in this space for a long time. And before we even get into the conversation that um, that I have planned for us today in terms of just talking about sexual struggles in men and leaders and and even then the frustrations that can, can arise in marriage, um, you know, you have been kind of a, a pioneer in this field uh, for many, many years. And in fact, um, your book, Breaking Free, the the year you published that, 1999 the copyright year on that on that book was the year i actually started my recovery and that was one of the first books i have it, it's kind of in bad shape i mean people that are watching the video can see it here it's kind of i mean it's, it's got all kinds of you know the frayed edges and uh, i got tons of i got tons of highlights in here and everything but um this was a huge resource for my own personal recovery and you may not know this. I might have shared this with you a couple of years ago when uh, I was with you at, at one of your, your banquets that you had. Um, but chapter nine in this book, uh, which is tit- titled The Courage to Be Broken, you may mm. not know this, but that was the seed for our ministry, Be Broken Ministries. Uh, that no chapter... Idea just gave me a whole new way of thinking about the difference spe- specifically between brokenness and sinfulness and the reality that hey there's a there's a there's an aspect of brokenness that is the right way to come before God that is the right way to grow in grace so before we even get started can can you just share with our listeners and viewers just a little bit of your history i mean because you've been in this space for a long time and share with us maybe a little bit about New Creation Ministries. Well, just briefly, uh, 
my story in a nutshell was uh, I, w I was raised in uh, a very uh, abusive and neglectful home. Uh, my parents divorced when I was seven and uh, my mother took my brother and I and we moved to a different state. And she had lots of challenges. Uh, she was an alcoholic and she had uh, mental and emotional problems. And basically what all of that meant was that uh, I didn't feel loved or rejected. Or I should say I didn't feel loved, but I felt rejected. Uh, there was a lot of abuse that really caused me to form a shame-based identity deep down to my core. And at seven, uh, I stumbled onto pornography one day. And in my own little kind of confused mind, I thought, okay, well, here is a grown woman who will share with me and open up and be vulnerable and, and invite me into her soul and into her body. And, and it was absolutely intoxicating. For me, porn became a mother's substitute. And so obviously when you take something like sexuality, especially when it's uh, triggered so early and you hook that up to a legitimate God-given need for maternal nurture, mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got a powerful chemical at work there. And so that was my struggle for easily the next seven years uh, until I came to Christ. And uh, I, I stopped the behaviors, but then uh, he began to do a healing work in my life. So subsequent to that, uh, I came on staff of New Creation Ministries. I've been involved in pastoral ministry. Uh, I was the executive director for some time. Now my official title is uh, director of curriculum and uh, director of counseling. And our ministry uh, is almost 40 years old. I've been with the ministry almost 30 years. And just, I really do absolutely love what I do. It's, uh, it can be very challenging. We, we need a whole lot of Jesus to do what we do here every single day. There are uh, three other counselors on staff here. Uh, but yet to see the Lord set people free at the core of their being is one of the most satisfying things uh, that a person could ever experience. And I, and I get to do that for a living. So, I mean, I'm just, I feel blessed with that. Yeah. I've often said, you know, one of the, uh, one of the surprises of God's grace is when he invites us into the work that he's doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't, we often think of the, the beauty of God's grace in terms of how he loves us and sets us free from our own entanglements and strongholds and all that. We don't see it sometimes as, hey, he even then invites us to, oh, to yeah. come alongside him in the work that he's doing. And that's another just huge extension of his grace. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, uh, speaking of, you know, you talk about really the transformation that happens at the core. Um, let's talk about for a little bit just the the sexual struggles that men have, a lot of the strongholds that men have. You mentioned one, pornography. There can be a lot of other ways in which men get entangled in in various strongholds. But can you talk to us about um, what what are the core issues that actually have to be addressed in order for a man to be truly free from those strongholds? Because because um, I'd love for you to talk about what those core things are, because it's very easy to get distracted with the behavioral, isn't it? Right, we're we're right. thinking about, hey, it's because that's what you see. You obviously see somebody looking at porn or you see somebody having an affair or you see these other types of things that are going on. Can you talk about how you maybe in your practice and in your ministry are trying to walk a man out of those strongholds? And what are the key elements to doing so? Well, there, uh, to try to simplify it as best I can, 
I found it to be true in my own life personally, but in the, in, in the lives of so many people that I work with, that when it comes to sexual addiction, whether it's porn addiction or uh, serial relationships or uh, issues with uh, transgenderism or gender confusion or codependency, you name it, all of those kind of come out of the same hub. But I, I found that the two issues that are at work are there's sin in the heart, obviously, but there's pain in the heart. And most Christians would agree about the sin part, but that's where I, the second thing is where I think there's a lot of ignorance. It's just like, well, if you're doing that bad stuff, just stop doing that bad stuff and you know, get serious about God. I've worked with people who, I mean, they fasted literally for 30 and 40 days, uh, prayed, read their Bibles, just like you experienced, I'm sure. These, these are not people pretending to be Christians. These are, these, these are genuine followers of Jesus and they're in bondage, they're trapped. Many times it started in childhood. And so that's, that's where the pain in the heart comes from. For most people I've worked with, they're dealing with uh, issues of childhood neglect or abandonment or abuse. Sometimes it's extreme. I mean, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Other times it's less clear. It's more emotional or verbal psychological abuse. But anything that causes a little child to believe that he's basically a bad, worthless person will be the perfect setup for sex addiction. Mm. Uh, and sex addiction is our attempt to try to f find somehow a way to make the loneliness and the feelings of worthlessness go away inside of us. And scripture bears this out, uh, maybe not a casual reading, but a more careful reading, like Proverbs 27, seven says, to the one who is full, even honey is loathsome, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Mm. And that's not talking about food. It's talking about those of us who, I mean, we might be ingesting foul, sinful, even destructive things, but many times we're motivated to try to, to try to fulfill a legitimate hunger or thirst driving us in our souls. And understanding that part for myself was actually, was absolutely life-changing. I didn't feel like Jesus was just disappointed in me all the time. I felt like he was saying like he does in Isaiah 61, that he wants to heal my broken heart and bring those pieces together and comfort me where I mourn. And when I understood that, and how that drove some of my compulsive behavior, it started to rob the compulsive behavior of its power. Mm -hmm. I love what you say there about about understanding that there's pain in the heart too. I heard I heard a a, a pastor one time say, and it stuck with me because I was like, "That's profound." I've never heard it put in such succinct terms. But he said, he said, really in life we're dealing with three categories of of um, battle. He said, one is sin, one is wounds, and the other is the demonic. And he said, he said, when it comes to sin, sin must be repented of. Wounds must be healed. And the demonic, you got to go to war. And he said, you can't repent of wounds. Right you, you, you don't heal sin. You know, it's, it's, so it's like sometimes we're misappropriating the, the right weapon or so to speak for that issue. And have you seen that happen where some people like you, like you mentioned, are they, are they basically trying to repent of a wound, something that's they impossible are. to do? Yeah. They're, they're trying to repent of a wound or repent of a trauma, or in some cases even repent of things inside of them that are perfectly normal and human or God given. I mean, our, uh, for men in particular, our desire for sex is not satanic. Mm -hmm. 
desire for sex is is not completely carnal. It's something that God put in us as a motivator to push us toward relationship. And not just even with our wives, but but that drive for connection, that powers a whole lot of stuff in our lives, even the desire for worship in ways that we don't usually comprehend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a real need to, to wrestle with some of those things. But sadly, as Christians, we don't like wrestling with complexities. We like life to be really simple and clear and stamp a Bible verse on it. But right. I'm sorry, life is difficult, even whether we want it to be or not. When you've said a couple of times, uh, you've used the phrase legitimate needs or legitimate desires. Can you help us understand? Because I think one of the most difficult things, especially, I mean, really in this area of sexuality, it's so difficult, I think, to navigate, especially when there's been a lot of sexual brokenness and even a lot of sexual addiction. How do you sort of come back to a baseline of understanding where the legitimate needs and desires end and the illegitimate solutions begin. Because to me, this is very different from, let's say, a um, a chemical or a substance kind of addiction, because as hard as it may be, uh, alcohol is not intrinsic to my being as and and so yes, you can set a bottle aside. I'm not saying that that's easy to do, but it's outside of your makeup as a human being. Whereas your sexuality, you carry that in your being your whole life, you're male or female. So can you talk a little bit about kind of where those lines are and how does a person begin to regain an understanding of what is legitimate desire and how do I meet those desires in a way that is the way I was designed to meet them? Well, that's a lot of work to untangle that. And uh, none of us can figure all that out on our own. That's why I think there's there's real value in seeking counsel, or, or you know, finding a mentor who's maybe walked through some of this, or even uh, getting therapy from a, a good Christian therapist, being part of a group, because we need people to help us see things that we normally wouldn't see. Uh, so that's the that's the first thing. But this idea that like behind things like sex addiction are some maybe legitimate unmet needs uh, at work that are being taken to the wrong place or even legitimate God-given aspects of our created being that have become distorted or twisted. Uh, Really, that is true about every sin. When I look in Galatians at the works of the flesh, at the the works of the sinful nature, everything that Paul describes there is based on a legitimate unmet need gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Every one of them. He talks about sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Impurity, debauchery, funny as it might sound, there there are things inside of us. We want novelty. We want excitement. We want things that are new and interesting and different. But obviously we could take that so far that we go into the profane or or the foul or or the wicked. But, you know, wanting to wanting to skydive or bungee jump, that's not sin. That means right. an adrenaline high, it's 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 exciting. But our sinful nature takes every one of these image of God parts of us and distorts it and twists it and tries to make it a bondage of its own. Uh, idolatry, of course, is really just our desire to worship God taken elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's talk about hatred, uh, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. These are works of the flesh. Ambition isn't wrong. If 
the Apostle Paul hadn't been ambitious, then the Christian church wouldn't have spread across the entire Mediterranean and European world. Selfish ambition is the problem. It's when I, I, I do everything I can to get ahead and step on whoever I think I need to in order for everybody to see how great I am. Well, is that just the flesh, me wanting to be seen as great? Again, no. And that, that comes to our deepest point. One of the most intrinsic things I believe about us as humans is we ache for connection, for affirmation, for recognition. That's a God-given thing. And God knew that that was in us even before we did. When he made Adam, and Adam was a sinless person in this pristine paradise, God looked at that and said, hmm, there's something not good here. Which is really an amazing statement. Mm -hmm. What's not? Everything's good. I mean, God got a man, got this, this perfect world. What do you mean it's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think Adam sensed that inside, but he didn't know what to call it or what it was. Uh, and it's even alluded that when he saw the animals and gave them names, he was saying, you know, but that, that, that lion has its lioness and that those giraffes have mates. And what's, this is weird. I don't know what to make of this. And looked at himself and said, well, I'm all by myself. The Lord was preparing him. So we're created for connection, created to be loved and to uh, give love, created to be known and to know others. That's all about this, this drive toward connection, union, attachment. Those are, that, that's what makes us different. I mean, even animals feel some of that, but, but mm-hmm. we're, we're in touch with it, or at least we should be. But when yep. those, those issues are not understood or broken, we go off the reservation with them and we do weird stuff. Yeah, and I think if we were to even take a look at just the, the the biology of how God has created us, the fact that, you know, you hit 12, 13, 14 years old, and all of a sudden there is a, uh, there's a switch that gets flipped biologically in both male and female that starts to have this attraction that maybe was never there before. I believe God has even written in that, that there is a desire to pursue relationship, to pursue intimacy. Um, but let me ask you a question. I get this pushback all the time from from guys, especially because I mean I'm I'm dealing a lot with men in in my circles, and um, and the question is this: you know, sometimes I'll be I'll, we'll be talking at kind of this uh, philosophical theological level where we say, yes, God has given us this great metaphor, right? Of of Christ and the church, the husband and the bride, and this intimacy. It's marriage is supposed to be this beautiful picture of intimacy with God, but it's ultimately only a picture. The idea is all of the deepest desires that we could possibly have are meant to be fully fulfilled in God. Yes. So then a guy stares at me and says, How does that work with my sexual desires? Like, how am I supposed to? How do I take my sexual desires to God? And somehow you're telling me that that He can fulfill me in a way that that connects somehow with even the desires He's put in me sexually. How does that work? How would you help a, a guy navigate that question and maybe try to understand it on a more of a practical level? Those are the conversations I've been having with men for almost thirty years, and it, it's it it's. It's confusing. It's like, well, uh, let me just be maybe a little bit crass. A man might say, well, is God going to give me an orgasm? I mean, right. how is it supposed to work exactly? Make this practical. Break it down. Well, this is, again, where we, we lack self-awareness. 
as men, do we want a good orgasm? Do we want uh, something sexual and erotic and hot and satisfying and pulse pounding? Yes, we do. But deep within all of that is not just a desire for novelty or to see someone naked. It's an ache to unite. Mm-hmm. And sexual intercourse is one of the most striking pictures and uh, expressions of that union between a man and a woman. Hopefully, they have an emotional union, a spiritual union, their lives are united, their futures, their fortunes are all tied together. And so for them to unite sexually is perfectly consistent with that whole picture. But there is a whisper of God there because we ache for that so badly. And then when we experience it, there's such a deep satisfaction, but it doesn't meet all the needs. It was never intended to. Uh, it's, it's really God's way of saying, I want to connect with you the way you just connected with your wife. Now, I'm assuming so, uh, we're talking about a man who's fairly healthy sexually, not a man who can't even have sex with his wife without fantasizing or looking at porn for an hour beforehand. That, that's a whole other level of brokenness. But what so many Christians don't understand is God doesn't just want us to follow him and obey him. He wants us to fuse with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Ephesians, when Paul talks about a man leaves his father and his mother, clings to his wife, the two become one flesh. Then he suddenly says, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's like, blah, blah, blah. Right. What? Uh, you were just describing intercourse, Paul. I mean, when do you mean Christ in the church? Even in intercourse, a man and woman, the, the, the closest they can ever hope to get is skin to skin. Mm-hmm. Jesus wants to go deeper than our skin and live in our very being. That's a level of oneness, vulnerability, union, even maybe shocking relationship and exposure that he wants with us so he can bless us to that level. But most of us don't get that. So sex is the symbol and we fixate it on the symbol. Well, let's talk for a minute because as soon as you said that, the first thing that came to my mind in terms of what what usually blocks men and women on this journey of that level of intimacy with God is what happened the very first sin that occurred, and that was a sense of shame that began to enshroud our being as an image bearer of God. It was like, hey, the first thing that happened, Adam and Eve, their eyes were open to a new reality that they hadn't seen before, that they were naked, and they felt a sense of shame. Better cover that up. So can you talk about how shame blocks us along that path of really understanding what is that closeness that goes beyond skin on skin, but really is about a full being united with Christ and maybe how we, um, how we can take steps towards um, overcoming some of that shame so that we can actually experience more and more of that intimacy with Jesus. Well, you've, you've asked a very uh, profound question. Uh, Well, I save all my hardest questions for you, Russell. I mean, I'm not going to give you softballs. (laughs) I mean, how do we heal shame? What is shame? Where did it come from? Why does it have so much power? And how do we overcome it? Uh, the first thing we have to know about shame is that shame is like uh, an invisible, deadly gas let loose inside of a little town. You don't see it, you don't smell it, but it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And most Christians don't understand that they struggle with shame. Uh, shame is not guilt, as you know. Guilt is feeling bad about what I've done. And that there's some legitimacy to that. But shame is feeling bad about what I am. 
And what shame tells us is I'm basically a bad, worthless person. And we all carry that to some degree. Some of us are in bondage to that. Others of us, we try to overcompensate for that by being good at our jobs, being moral people, uh, never making mistakes, being perfectionistic. It's all, but all of those are ways of trying to overcompensate for this deep feeling of, of worthlessness and unlovability in our souls. And that causes us also to then feel like whatever we, whatever love or connection or success or even sexual satisfaction we want has got to be bad because that comes from such a deep place in us, a place that we believe is basically corrupt. Uh, and whether Christian or non-Christian, there's, there's this intuitive sense that that's there. People will go their whole lives and never even take a look at that or explore it or even have the courage to, to think that could be there. But that's why the cross is so powerful, because not only does the cross deal with our shame or our, our sin, but it deals with our shame. Mm -hmm. uh, we're told in Hebrews that Jesus went to the cross despising the shame. He fought shame as well. He attacked it. Uh, but a lot of us don't know how to let him do that. And the first thing I think to understand is God loves us. He loves us completely, comprehensively, irresistibly. In fact, he loves us so much there's not a thing we can do about it. I can't be so bad he will stop loving me. God mm -hmm. is love. That's his nature. It's his essence. Now, he's hoping that if I'm a sinner, that I will acknowledge the sin, which is just a barrier between me and experiencing his love, because he's already done his part on his end. And if I can acknowledge that, embrace that solution that he's given through Christ, then it's like now you and I have this open channel of communication, Russell, and, and we, can, we can have fellowship. And that's where he says, I no longer call you servants, but it's good to be servants. We're supposed to be servants. We start out our relationships with God as servants, but he says, I want to make you a friend. I want to share with you everything I've heard from the father. You're going to mm -hmm. know my business. You're going to know my heart. And we might almost compare that to pillow talk. Yeah. But a lot of us, that just freaked us out. Oh, well, what? That's weird. That's good. Because we, we forget that God made genitals. <laughs> And God invented orgasm. Right. And and these things that we're so ashamed of and embarrassed about, why are we embarrassed about something God wasn't embarrassed to make? Mm -hmm. But the world and the, the flesh and the devil, they twist all of this and make us believe that it's just inherently wrong. Sadly, even some Christians in marriage have this sneaking suspicion that what they enjoy in marriage is not quite right or pure. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to address, address that a little bit. The, the, uh, the pure desires, the the idea of what does it look like to get to a place where you're you're enjoying life as God made you in your body, in your mind, in your soul. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this morning, and he was talking about how how quickly his his mind can start to think that if he's doing anything that has a pleasurable element to it, somehow automatically it's wrong. Automatically it's absolutely. Simple. And, you know, he struggled with that all the time because he said, man, his shame wants to come jump on his back. Like exactly, as soon as exactly. he's, I mean, it could be something like just enjoying a run or going on a bike ride or just, you know, enjoying a, a piece of music or something. And somehow the idea of pleasure itself exactly. becomes a, exactly. a trigger for thinking something's wrong. Can you address that? Oh my gosh, that's huge. There's two things that come to my mind. Number one is that we don't understand how pleasure relates to God. Uh, 
one of the jokes I used to have when my kids were little and uh, I was raising them and they'd be maybe getting loud or getting rambunctious. I just say, Hey, if it's fun, stop that. <laughs> and they knew I was kidding, but quite frankly, that's what a lot of parents tell their kids, whether they right. realize it or not. And we absolutely believe that's where God's at. Hmm. God wants us to be holy, godly, obedient, good, moral. It never occurs to us that his deepest longing for us is that we experience joy. Right. I have told you these things so that you may have joy and that your joy may be full. That's, that's God's secret agenda. That's what's up his sleeve. He wants us to experience euphoria. Now, in this life, obviously, we're not going to taste a lot of that. Sex is one little taste of it. It's one mm -hmm. little foretaste, which God has given to the whole world to say, you think that's good. Right. Wait until you're in a different world in a place where you're not encumbered by, you know, the, the mortal coils that hold you back now. But we don't think God's into pleasure. Well, then why did he create the, the male penis with 8,000 nerve endings on it? Why did he create the, the female clitoris with 10,000 nerve endings? That, you only do that if you're really into creating a pleasurable experience. And it's not just for procreation. The female orgasm has nothing to do with procreation, reproduction. Mm -hmm. Zero, zippo. But God apparently wanted that to be. And he created our tongues with about 10,000 uh, taste buds so that when that ice cream or that steak or whatever hits, the, it's supposed to be an intensely... But we don't believe God's into pleasure. Yeah, the Bible says there are those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But those are not mutually exclusive. In fact, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Mm -hmm. And we think, well, yeah, in heaven we'll be able to. Why wait? God has given us so many good gifts, but we're suspicious of it because we don't think we're supposed to enjoy that. I've also heard it referred to as the doctrine of ineligibility. Mm. But if we can embrace the pleasures as well as the crosses. Yeah. And if and the second thing I, I mentioned we, we don't deal with very well is this whole idea of an embodied religion. Right. There is no Christianity that I don't experience or work out in my body somehow. And our God mm -hmm. became a human being with a body. He was telling us something. The body is not bad. It's not carnal. It's not sinful. Otherwise, the incarnation could have never occurred. Right. And we have to fill out that experience in our bodies. So in our last couple minutes here, I'd love for you to just be able to try to give a word of encouragement to the listener out there that's going, I'm I'm struggling in my shame. Maybe I'm. Maybe they're still... Uh, carrying their secret, they haven't told anybody, or they're just wondering, like, I, I don't know if I can take the next step. I've the things I've done, you know, I'm too bad. Whatever their thought of shame is, what word of encouragement would you give to them? And then also, um, where can uh, folks get some more resources from you and and learn more about what you're doing? Well, I just want to be real direct for a moment and uh, just speak to the man or the woman who might be watching or listening and just say, no matter how bad you think you are, how much damage you've done, how corrupt and foul you might believe your heart is. Scripture says this, this is a, a true saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. <laughs> and I'll ask some people uh, occasionally, so do you qualify? And they'll say, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus didn't come for the righteous. Jesus didn't come for people who have it together who need a little, you know, moral makeover, perhaps. Jesus came for the desperate, 
lonely, hopeless misfits who cannot get it right. The only people Jesus came for, which happens to be 100% of us. Right. So we don't always Whether we admit it or not, right? And so there's hope. And the Lord may want to take you through some things, show you some areas of brokenness or pain, show you areas of some rebellion, defiance. But not to make your life horrible or miserable or just to, you know, pull you through the keyhole backwards, but to help you work through all of those encumbrances and come into your true self in Christ. Because the, the, the true self is identical with the new self or the new man. But we've got all this stuff covering the new man, the new nature up, even as Christians that we're afraid to look at because it's just it's scary. It's, it's embarrassing. But the sooner we get to that and do that scary thing with Christ and with brothers and sisters, the sooner we're going to get to that freedom that he died to give us from the cross. That's great. Where can, where can people go to get some of your resources? Uh, uh, you can visit our website, ncm, uh, uh, fresno.org. Uh, and find out about some of the things we do. Uh, I published a book called Breaking Free, as you mentioned, about sex addiction. And uh, also we have uh, video curriculums and things that couples can use and small groups can use. So ncmfresno.org has all of that information for anyone who's interested. Well, Russell, it's always a pleasure. And thanks for, you know, not only being a pioneer in this space, but remaining faithful in this kind of work. Because this can, I know this can be very challenging and exhausting work at times. Um, but thanks for uh, uh, continuing in your call that God's put on your life. Yes, my my pleasure. And I just remembered, I, I misquoted that uh, website. It's ncmfresno.org, not just NCM. New Creation Ministries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, organizations. we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. But uh, yeah, we're glad you've been with us today. It's been my pleasure, brother. Thank yeah. you for having me. And listeners, uh, we're always glad that you're with us, and uh, we do look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. So take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.